2: ropes back from vacation jeff hawkins chris novembrino (laughs) i i uh i uploaded the show for last week and i i took a big sigh and i went thank goodness nothing big happened while we were gone and then 15 minutes later bray white was fired so (laughs) we'll get into that in a bit i want to start off with a uh Oh, the inner child of Jeff Hawkins was made a little bit happy this week in wrestling, Chris. I watched AEW Dark Elevation from Charlotte. David Crockett did play-by-play for a match with Eddie Kingston on Color Commentary. And look, I, in my childhood, look, David Crockett is not a great play-by-play guy. He is not. He is a great presence on wrestling and for wrestling, even though he hasn't done it in a while, because the thing about David Crockett was, you know, you had your elder statesman slash people who were like your uncle, like, uh, Bob Cottle and Lance, um, Memphis guy, Lance, help me out here, Chris. Can you remember?
1: Lance Russell,
2: Lance Russell. Thank you. I've already started forgetting names right after we get on the air. This is not bode well, but uh, Lance Russell David Crockett was basically just telling the fans how they should act around about the baby faces and the heels because he had he had no compuncture about rooting for baby faces and trolling heels in his intros and things like that. And it was vintage 1985 David Crockett on this because all he was saying was look at it. Look at him. Look at it!" <laughs> here he goes. And it was great and awesome. And it, and it made me very, very happy, Chris. Yeah.
1: Look, uh, David Crockett in in the day was really, uh, I mean, I didn't think of him as a positive on any of those broadcasts. Uh,
2: (laughs) you and the internet.
1: Yeah. right, Right. No, I mean like, look, uh, I, I just, uh, I, I get, It's good to have energy for my money. Don West was always uh, in that template much better at that guy. Who's just way too excited to be there. Um, But maybe you can't have a Don West without a Dave Crockett. So, uh, you know, good on him.
2: Now we get to the sad news from overnight. Uh, Rest in peace, Bobby Eaton. Favorite of shake them ropes here passed away at the age of 62. Uh, I go out on a limb and say one of the greatest tag team wrestlers of all time there. And I don't think I'd be, uh, I don't think anybody would fight me on that. Um, I got into Bobby. Eaton. Who, who is
1: better than Bobby Eaton?
2: Arn may be on that list. Cause he had a number of, uh, he had a number of tag teams that were good. There, there are guys that, you know it depends on long how you how you view it but i I mean in terms of just being the solid guy on a team ricky morton ricky morton i think yeah okay
1: that that would be maybe be a fair comp but like i all i would then go i'll go one step further i think bobby eaton's a better wrestler than ricky morton
2: i would disagree um bobby fulton might be on my list too um From his tag teams, maybe, maybe Dan Crawford, Uh, you know, guys like that, but,
1: but, but here's my point with this before you even get into it, you really have to search to even come up with a better tag team specialist wrestler than Bobby Eaton because Bobby Eaton was the core of both iterations of the midnight express really the engine that made it work. Yes. Loverboy boy, Dennis Condry helped kind of foster, you know, develop Eaton. But once Eaton was like fully developed, which was fairly early on in his career, um, Stan Lane was a nice to have, but the midnight express could have rolled on in many other iterations. So long as you had Cornette and Bobby Eaton, Bobby Eaton was the glue of that team as much as I like Stan Lane.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, um, let me let me list off some of these teams before I even go into the bio that that I have. I mean, you had him in both iterations of the Midnight Express. In Memphis, he teamed with Coco Ware, who was Sweet Brown Sugar at the time. We got to see some of that when we were watching uh, our Jerry Lawler, um, Andy Kaufman flashback. We were watching old Memphis. <laughs> There's young, like, 18-year-old Bobby Eaton with the first family, which is great. Uh, as part of the Dangerous Alliance, tag team there with Arn Anderson, which is pretty great. Uh, tagged the Blue Bloods with both Steven Regal and um, uh, 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 Squire Dave, Dave Taylor. Taylor. Squire Dave Taylor, thank you very much. Uh, he went over to Smoky Mountain for a short period and teamed with Stan Lane and Tom Pritchard there as part of Coronet's family. That was pretty good. Yeah, just, you know solid solid guy. Oh and uh did, did he have a team with uh was it Steve Kern? Was that bad attitude? Was that was was that Steve Kern and and, and Bobby Eaton? I'm trying to remember that. I'll I'll Google that in a sec.
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't know. But I mean like, so focus in on the midnights. Uh I mean the midnights are what made the rock and roll express the rock yeah. and roll express. So I, I mean You know, as we talk about Ricky Morton, like, yeah, you know, they, of course, feuded with other teams, but the Midnight Express was necessary for the rock and roll express to get over because the road warriors working with the rock and roll for any number of reasons would not have worked the road warriors were too cool hawk and animal the actual individuals were not going to be giving in the same way that the midnight express was Um, you needed to have a really strong promo getting all of the story across with the rock and roll because the rock and roll guys were not strong promos and eaton was not a strong promo and stan lane (laughs) yeah had an okay announcer voice but was not actually a good promo so you needed cornell was the glue and ellering would not have been a sub like you needed to have the midnight express and the midnight Express's style of match for the rock and rolls to be the rock and rolls um and dude i mean he I really, as I'm sitting here and thinking about it, he might be the best American tag team wrestler.
2: I would not disagree with that. Um, Yeah, I... uh, (laughs) It's funny you brought it up first. Yeah, Bobby Heaton will never be a charisma machine. That wasn't his given. He wasn't a body guy. He wasn't a charisma machine. But damn, could he sell... Damn, could he feed for a baby face like a Ricky Morton on a comeback? And damn, could he do high spots off the top rope? The knee drop off the top and, and keep people safe. The, the other part of that, leg, his leg drop next to Seikosis is my favorite leg drop ever off the top rope. I can't, I mean, psychosis him, maybe X-Pac is in that discussion, but Bobby Eaton is in that discussion. The knee drop off the top. Vicious when he was doing squash matches, he looked like a killer in there, and that's all you really needed when when especially with Conjury. With, with Lane, it was more of a finesse team, I think, at times. And I don't get me wrong, I love the Lane. I love the Lane Eaton Midnight Express. But as I've done rewatches now, I have like a 20-disc set of Midnight Express overall. I veered towards the Conjury Eaton version because it's a little more gritty uh, you know, Stan Lane is flashy. He, br- he brought the good looks. He brought the charm and stuff. Dennis Conji was just scuzzy, but Bobby Eaton's the rock of those two teams right there. I mean, he's, he's not If I were asked to describe him, he's nondescript, but you watch him and he does everything. So technically well, like I rewatched flair, and Eaton from Clash 15, where he had his one world title match. And it was awesome. Like, Bobby Eaton's punches are second only to Jerry Lawler to me in wrestling history. Uh,
1: <laughs> I mean, that's the I, thing for, for for me with Eaton, right? Like, it's that he had the high spots. He had two excellent, excellent, excellent high spots. The, the knee drop, I almost think I like more than the leg drop and the leg drops really impressive but the knee drop and especially now with like kind of like a better watchful eye on this how I'm able to watch him give on the ankle on the landing foot just enough to make the actual like bent leg look like it's smushing into something but it's like compressing it I mean dude it's masterful how he figured out how to do this in a way that looks very, very, very convincing, especially done quickly. Um, like at, at speed, you can't even catch it. But you work backwards from there. It wasn't just purely high spots. Yeah, he could throw drop kicks, but he also had interesting suplexes, off-the-rope sort of slingshotty sort of suplexes. He was comfortable working on the ground, and he could throw a good drop kick, a good standing drop kick, and just to wind it all the way back the most basic thing in the world the punch dude his punches meant something um they 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 looked mean and it worked well when he was a heel because commentary could sell it. You know, Eaton can change things with one punch and, like, maybe cast that punch as a sunker punch, and you knew that Eaton's punch actually had some reputation to it. But also when he was fighting back and he was working as a babyface, same thing. When he's throwing those punches around, you get into it because you know those punches mean something.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. And, look, for for all the knocks against his charisma. Let's let's mention two things, one on stage and one off stage. On stage, I, he cut interesting promos at times, like when he was a babyface and he got jumped by the Horsemen before Tully and Arn went to WWF. He <laughs> the makeup he had was ridiculous. Don't get me wrong, it looked like somebody drew a red splotch on his cheek with a red marker. It's ridiculous. I've made fun of it on this show before, but he cut a very fiery baby face promo and it worked because he never talked all that much that. And look, he may not have been the most charismatic guy on camera, but reading through the tributes and you never speak ill of the dead, but I never heard a bad story about Bobby Eaton ever. I never heard of, you know, there are guys who have bad days and you run it like like no one's ever going to, you know, people are going to have negative stories about me. People are going to have negative stories about, say, even an Arn Anderson being cranky or crabby. And, and, and or
1: certainly day. about me.
2: Yeah. Nobody ever. I mean, nobody. I had never heard a negative story about Bobby. Eaton. Just always pros pro comes in, does a great family, man never heard of him getting drunk and doing something stupid all that much, just really kind of kept to himself and kind of shy. And I appreciate that. And the other thing I appreciate for me in my fandom growing up is he went everywhere because WCW would often loan him out or cut him because he didn't once Cornette kind of left him there to fight on his own. And after the dangerous Alliance and Paul E. got out there, I think, they just didn't understand him. And this kind of goes into the charisma thing. Those blue blood sketches. He ain't the most charismatic fellow in the world, but those are fantastic because he ain't the most charismatic fellow in the world. He is uncouth. He is from Huntsville, Alabama. And, you, you know, it's funny to Alabama. juxtapose those to
1: the Eo uh, Shirai <laughs> and Zoe so Stark, where comparatively, go and watch the blue. Those things are actually tasteful in comparison because among other things, Regal looking down on culture as being done from this heelish thing and Eaton's like earnest blue bloodedness or whatever. I don't, Dude, I, I mean, they're funny in and of themselves, but uh, yeah, they're fun to think on, especially in this moment. Um, the sorry to cut you off, but there's one other thing about Eaton I always think about. Um, like I, I, you always hear the stories about him on the road and how he just seemed like a really cool guy to know. Uh, I was always struck by these stories about how Bobby Eaton always had everything in his suitcase. Everything from like Tylenol to med wraps. like if you needed something, you could go to Bobby Eaton and get it because he would just buy everything and have it on hand. And uh, several years ago, when I was managing um, a, a singer-songwriter guy, um, he was not organized, um, as many musicians aren't. And uh, I needed to this this particular individual needed a lot of organizational help. So I took a page out of Bobby Eaton's playbook, and I actually told them the story about Eaton and his suitcase, and I made my uh, made my musician a bucket. Um, with all of the things that he needed from the for the gig, everything from off, uh, in case the gig was outside, to extra patch cables, to an extension cord, and it was all in this nice little bucket for him. And that was uh, that was my Bobby Eaton bucket.
2: I hate to say this, but that was me also on the road, especially before I started drinking at all. When I was still basically straight edge, I basically well not straight edge, but I just I did not drink in my early twenties. And so I was always the person taking care of the drunks. I had Tylenol. I had Pedialyte. Hey, I got a rubber if you need it. You know, (laughs) that was me, you know, kind of being the den mother. But uh, to the point I was going to make is in my fandom, Eaton kind of appeared everywhere also. I mean, it was, he was in WCW. Uh, He did the Smoky Mountain Run for a while. Both he and Arn Anderson went there and and the three-way feud between Camp Coronet, which was the heavenly bodies of Pritchard and Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton were feuding with the stud stable of Ron Fuller, Jimmy Golden and Dutch Mantel. And then the Rock and Roll Express in in a great southern angle, bring in their surprise uh, partner, which is Arn Anderson. And Arn cut some great promos about Bobby uh, in, in that program. Also, Arn and Bobby loaned out to ECW for one night uh, due to the uh, settlement from from WCW using When Worlds Collide, which was originally an ECW package. By the way, your cat is in the pot. Um, <laughs> uh, so you had a tag. It's an interesting one-off tag match, but it was obvious the WCW guys and the ECW guys were going to work together, but it's Arn Anderson and Terry Funk taking on Sabu, and bobby eaton which sounds like an awesome team to me i always wanted to see eaton and psychosis team up just to have the dual leg drops but as for matches to seek out dude anything the midnights and the rock and roll express or the fantastics did is going to be awesome sauce uh the the singles match between eaton and and flair at clash 15 again the cat just wants to be cooked. Um, for those watching on, no, on the two YouTube. Two separate
1: pots he's in. Two separate pots, Hawkins. Not one, but two.
2: Um I, I particularly like the Fantastics versus the Midnights from Clash One. I think that's a great little match there. Uh let's see. Other other Midnight Express matches or Bobby Eaton match. Oh, the the Eaton Anderson tag team versus any iteration of Steamboat. Dustin Rhodes, Barry Windham, those kinds of guys, circa 91, 92. Pretty damn great. Uh, yeah. If you got some time this weekend, you got the peacock or you got the youtube look up some uh, midnight express matches and and just uh you basically enjoy.
1: can't miss um just to kind of build on jeff uh, they're the obvious recommendations of go and watch the midnight express matches because they're so fun and if you can watch like the builds to them with like cornet really sort of like you know just paving the way like it he's an important flavor with the Eaton thing. Um, and those like singles matches and enhancement matches are a lot of fun. But the other thing I'd recommend is like what I used to do for fun back when I was working at NCI, which is, I would just look up random Bobby Eaton matches. Like there's a match that Eaton has with Ray Mysterio in 1996 or so.
2: The Nitro stuff. I forgot all about. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's on those early Nitros in about 96 I think he hangs, he may hang around the company until they close in 2000, but he's not doing a lot other than like Saturday nights. And here's something I didn't know in doing research. I remember, I think they did a tryout when, when Cornette and the midnights left for a bit, they did a tryout with the WWF that didn't go well, but I do know for a fact that in 2001, he was signed by the WWF to help train people. And and I remember I I I had forgotten all about that, but yeah, no, he uh he was part of those early fun nitros where it was just all the generations mixing and like the the is it the uh uh Meng and the Barbarian were like fighting the Rock and Roll Express one week, the Fantastics the next, and then in a, and then like Ricky Morton and Bobby Fulton or Tommy Rogers in a joint tag team. It, it's just it's a weird those '96 nitros before the NWO and Hogan and Hogan this, Hogan that, Hogan, 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 are are a lot of fun, especially those first hours.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I think for me, I I really enjoy all the Saturday night offerings, not because they're like five-star matches or whatever, but Eaton, among his other great things, we talked about like the diversity and the range of his moveset. This is not a five moves of doom guy. This is a guy who had like a complete 40-minute match in him. And he was really good because he's so giving, and I think because he spent so much time as as like a heel, so having to give to the babyface, he's really good at reading the other person he's working with, so adapting to different styles. And like, I, I mean, I think you'll just see, it's a real treat to watch him adapt his Bobby Eaton style to whoever he's wrestling, and he does it so well. He does it as well as anyone. Uh, I mean, absolute. Hall of Famer, like, I, I mean, like, way to bring us back to what we started this convo with. If you're trying to come up with a better tag team wrestler, who's like a tag team specialist, not a single star who was put into a tag team, right? Like, you know, like, Ric Flair was many tag teams. um, But you're, you're basically hard-pressed to come up with a better guy than Bobby Eaton.
2: Also passing away this week, Jody Hamilton of the Assassins. Now... Admittedly, Jody Hamilton's wrestling career uh, was just ending in the NWA as I was starting. But I have now, because I've been on a mid-South, old mid-South, which I believe are on Peacock currently, kick, watching this guy do promos. And at first I didn't like them. But now I think he's one of the best promo guys i've ever seen um his his promo style is very to the point he always brought his gimmick into it where i have to wear this mask otherwise people won't book me type of things which i always found kind of cool they were intelligent promos that's what especially when he's like doing he's doing promos with mr wrestling two who's also wearing a mask and he's explaining why his reason for wearing a mask is better than mr wrestling twos wearing wearing a mask type of thing and you watch them and you go oh man he's great now look he was out of shape by the time his career ended and he was even more out of shape when they brought him back in as an agent slash manager circa 92 93 if you're in your late 30s and above you might remember him his that run in wcw he was the manager of pretty wonderful paul orndorff and paul roma if you remember that and yeah, Chris is digging in his brain to, to think about that. That, that didn't, didn't last
1: well. long. Did it, it,
2: and it, and it didn't end well either. No, it wasn't very good. I mean, he looked like he ate the other assassin at the point. He couldn't fit into his mask look kind of bad, but he is very important to the history of, of wrestling in this respect, especially the Monday night wars. And I'll tell you why his training facility is the one that eventually got turned into the power plant for WCW, and one of his key pupils was one Diamond Dallas Page, who is a success story in wrestling, no matter how you put it, especially at an advanced age. Also Goldberg, also, you know, there was a lot of talent that came out of that power plant that was put onto Nitro, probably a little bit too quickly, but was very important in the Monday Night Wars. also connection for those on
1: the ddp thing just to put the ddp success story into context ddp and bobby eaton are approximately the same age yes yeah so 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 like
2: as he was on
1: his rise bobby eaton is winding things up so that's how improbable ddp success story is and
2: and bobby Eaton started wrestling because his dad was in the business at the age of 17 or 16 or 17 so he was wrestling a good 20 years before DDP well ever became an active performer DDP was a manager in the late 80s in the AWA
1: and he had like uh, a brief run as yeah yeah this this he was on WCW briefly yes, in the early yes. 90s
2: Uh Jody Hamilton also reopened Deep South for WWE so he was a trainer for that and also in case you didn't know in case you're not that tuned into it one Nick Patrick the referee Real name, Jody Hamilton Jr. He is he is Nick. He is the son, or Jody Hamilton Jr. Yeah, he is the son of the original assassin. So if you did not know that, I'm kind of a Nick Patrick fan. I gotta admit, it hit my heart. Of I,
1: I just got so sick of those angles. that like ruined my childhood. There was so much Nick Patrick angles yes, on my TV yes, back when. Yeah, him
2: and, him and Charles Robinson were a bit much, and I'm I'm starting. I, I'm I'm waiting for the eventual Aubrey. Angle in AEW. <laughs> uh, and, yes, I'm sorry,
1: heel Nick Patrick was not good.
2: No, it wasn't. The, the heel ref was was dreadful, but he did a lot with it. I mean, he was doing that. His performance was good. The booking was dreadful. So rest uh, I'll, peace I'll both- grant
1: that growing out the facial hair and being really <laughs> sc- yeah, like, like the really scuzzy looking referee. Like we got him, you know, out back by the airport,
2: the mask, he already had a mask for a while as the NWO ref and it was obviously Nick Patrick. Everybody knew who that was, but rest in peace to both Bobby Eaton and Jody Hamilton. Speaking of AEW kids it's time. Chris and I been watching and waiting Fourth week in a row, they hit over a million viewers. While we were gone, the WWE had a quarter two call, and on that same day, I believe the United Center sold out in about 17 minutes for Rampage without having a card announced. But it's been very hinted at on AEW that one Charles Montgomery Punk, Chick Magnet Punk, old Mr. Phil Brooks, old Cranky Pants on Twitter himself. Gonna be on this card in Chicago. The United Center is a big deal. The United Center is the first major arena that AEW has sold out. Don't get me wrong; they've gone to big cities, but they've always kind of gone to secondary arenas. When, it, when they ran is, here
1: in Texas, they were in Garland. They weren't. They weren't at the American Airlines Center.
2: Correct, and yeah, they yeah they when they were in Austin, they weren't at you University of Texas they were in some other arena in North Austin I believe when they came to LA they were in Ontario they weren't in they weren't in Staples when they go to Illinois they're in the uh, Rosemont Horizon or the UIC Pavilion I believe United Center is a big deal Chicago's been flooded with wrestling of late I think this is going to be like the fourth card in 4 months considering Raw was just there this past week or two weeks ago, you're going to have two cards or three cards for AEW Labor Day weekend. And you have this one in between. It's a big effing deal. And, you know, <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, you know, we don't view them as competition. Got news for you, kids. Got news for you, Vinny. Got news for you, Vince. It's now a competition. AEW is about to have two broadcast shows on major cable networks. They have two YouTube shows on networks. They are signing a lot of people and they are going for broke here. I have concerns about the roster expansion in many ways, because I think I don't know if their strategy is to oversaturate the market or oversaturate wrestling fans time by saying you don't need to spend time with anything sports entertainment anymore you can come here get that much wrestling and you don't necessarily have to watch it all but i'm going to tell you something else nxt was bad this week it was terrible in many respects because it was it was pure sports entertainment with yellow ropes the charm is gone there are people with contracts coming up and we'll get to that in a second as well that could be game changers for aew help brian danielson and cm punk are going to get people excited when they debut. They're going to get the mainstream media. It's a war now and don't look now, but <laughs> dynamite is increasing in the 1849 demo. It's creeping up on raw numbers. We're getting there. And the moment that they win a week. They, they're not going to be head to head. Don't get me wrong. They're never going to be head to head, but it's going to matter. And I don't see WWE doing anything other than killing, killing the brand that had charm in NXT, both on the actual show and how they're using guys like Keith Lee and Karrion Cross and guys like that. But this doesn't feel like a hot product. It doesn't feel like they're building feuds. It feels like they're just going to kind of rest on where the brand. This is what people like. We have fans who like what they like. We're going to be McDonald's. We're just going to give the people what they expect out of a WWE product, and we're not going to shake anything out. Out of all that, Chris, I have ranted now. United Center, rosters, the Q2 call, anything you'd like to comment on.
1: Absolutely. So looking at the ratings numbers this week, once again, AEW breaking a million in a clear and decisive way and 1 million as you and i sat and talked i don't know 18 months ago was always going to be the deciding line like can this product get over a million viewers um it was important to me because if you're really going to say you're competing against raw and not just competing against the head-to-head competition which was nxt which was an increasingly bad iteration of nxt you needed to have something that showed that you are really blowing NXT out of the water. Uh, million's important. Uh, a- AEW is now breaking that on a reliable basis. Uh, the demo stuff at that point now becomes increasingly relevant, even more relevant. Uh, some people might say I was being under, or underweighting it up till now, but I mean, I think now that you have a similar amount of sample and you can look at, okay, there are 2 million shares. How much of the coveted demo is in each million share? We're now talking about like, the like meaningful differences it's not just percentages it's literally tens of thousands of people that make that make up a difference in terms of advertisement um in terms of momentum AEW continues to gain in ratings while Raw continues to arc in the wrong direction uh that momentum is bad Uh, and as we've been watching this new foray into you know, live events and everything like that. It's particularly in June and July here. Um, there might be some headwinds uh, because of what is happening with the pandemic coming up in fall. And if things needed to shut back down again, like if they needed to stop action, let's say sometime at the end of September, that would be not good for WWE because WWE has not been lighting the world on fire with hot angles the shows that they've been running have been very by the numbers people aren't excited AEW will have gained momentum during let's call this wrestling season and if we had to shut back down into like I guess off season again. It wouldn't be. It would be a slow attritional bleed away from WWE and a slow continual gain by AEW. That is only going to ramp up further when CM Punk and Daniel Bryan, or Brian Danielson, are back and doing big angles. Um, to your in terms of concerns, I share some concerns about the roster expansion because to me the most obvious answer here of how do you optimize the roster at this point it's to get some of these vice presidents out of the main event to clear way for the big new acquisitions of CM Punk and Daniel Bryan. I'd be trying to move as much of this show through those guys, Darby Allen and Adam Page, as I possibly could. Um, I might even try to book like a super angle where those four guys have to go up against the elite, um, But but I would make... I would be trying to reorient this uh, roster around your two big signees. because uh, you got the vice presidents. The vice presidents are the vice presidents, and they really there at this point need to be in a caretaker status. I'd get the belt off Omega. Um, if you're gonna get that on Adam Page, get it onto Adam Page. If you wanna put it on a punk and have punk turn heel on Adam Page, that could be really fun. Um, like there's any number, there's any number of different angles here, but I'd be I'd be trying to get the story to move through them um, in terms of, I, I just keep going back to w- what is the reason one would keep watching WWE if they weren't like a reviewer of WWE right now, what angle would be keeping me in on this? Would it be the Drew McIntyre angle? Do I really care about Bobby Lashley and Bill Goldberg who is just here? Like I'm not into Bobby Lashley cause he's a heel, um. Also, he's like, not that, inter- you know, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead.
2: You're, no, you're looking at this wrong, though, Chris, just a little bit, because people who watch WWE are not wrestling fans. The people who like WWE like the WWE style. They like the goofy sketches. They like sitting in the crowd and singing along with, you know, <laughs> the New Age Outlaws or The Rock or Enzo and Cass and doing the catchphrases. It's a it's an interactive experience more than it's about the wrestling a lot of times but, but i think it's show. still
1: enough about the wrestling for enough of the fans that wwe's raw could settle in at 900,000 uh well i mean i i think look within 52 weeks we see raw under a million i i think, yeah. and, and i i think you will find real quickly how many of these wrestling fans are actually wrestling fans who've been watching WWE versus WWE fans who are just pure WWE fans. And I, I mean, look, uh, do I think there will still be the, you know, the, the loyal WWE for lifers, the guy holding up the sign and, you know, like that, all all that sort of stuff. Absolutely.
2: (laughs) Hold on the people in my mentions from time to time when I go after them, you don't see this. Oh, I've had them jumping down my throat this week, Chris
0: why is it me uh, me again no
2: no no i i i forget the comment i made but it was just oh oh i made a comment um about some somebody some wwe guy goes you know the real difference between the two companies is that tony khan is just using his daddy's money vince is a self-made man vince mcmahon jr the first photo in the intro to WWE is his old man. And you're telling me that he's a Horatio Alger type, Mr. Rags to riches. Shut up. Um,
1: Tell me more about the 1980s, <laughs> Mr. Historian.
2: <laughs> I just, I, I could not believe that, but I, you know, I, I think, I think he has to do something. I think he has to, and, and you can say it's a different point of view, But I just, this has been the same show for 25 years now.
1: With the same sort of angles. And I get that there's like obviously always going to be repeating of certain types of angles. But Mm -hmm. like they tell the same stories the same way over and over and over again. They, They don't know how to try something new. That kind of gets back, you know, you mentioned Bray Wyatt being let go. Um, I mean, Bray Wyatt's a fine example of this. Now, not everything Bray Wyatt has ever pitched or done has been genius stuff, but it's very obvious. In the middle of the last decade, Bray Wyatt was trying to pitch stories involving like you know who the Wyatt family was uh who uh Sister Abigail was that there might be a reveal of who that Sister Abigail was what the Wyatt family's relationship with Sister Abigail was going to be like Bray Wyatt had a clear broader story vision and a broader sense of storytelling than WWE's super narrow way of telling stories works but what's Gotten worse even over the last 25 years. It would be one thing if they're telling stories the same way they were 25 years ago. But like 25 years ago, the Kane and Undertaker feud uh that built to that not very good WrestleMania match had lots of twists and turns and zigs and zags and like was a story with like reveals and, and like actual like beats of narrative and stuff. And now nothing in WWE gets a four-month treatment. There like, there is no actual 16 weeks of storytelling sort of thing. Look at Sasha Banks return on SmackDown. She comes back and in one beat, we have, uh, we have Bianca Belair seeing Sasha Banks. Sasha's there. She's a little too happy. Bianca experiences trepidation. We don't even get a week to let that marinate before the betrayal. Um, that is a microcosm of WWE storytelling. Now in the past, in the 1990s or in, like, the late eighties, you would have gotten that over four weeks. Now it's condensed into one week. The pay-per-view angles for WrestleMania that should be 16 weeks are condensed down into four weeks in a build up to WrestleMania. Um, Go-home shows don't feel like you're going home to anything or, or you don't really want to go home to anything. Like, maybe you should just run away and never see mom and dad again. Uh, like, th- this is... This show is not a fun watch on a week-to-week basis.
2: Yeah, and I think they're going to start attacking people like us with that criticism-is-not-conversation type thing. They're going to appeal to the hardcores and go with that. So
1: Cool, have fun with your ratings. Get,
2: yeah, get get ready for that. Um, Speaking of which, you just mentioned, yes, Bray Wyatt let go by the WWE last week. Now, I haven't asked anybody about this. He's obviously making a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. You can say, okay, (laughs) the PR was that it was budget reasons. He was making a lot of money. He's in the main event feud. That's fine. He also moves a crap ton of merchandise. People love them some Fiend and and Bray Wyatt merchandise because some of it looks actually cool or wearable outside of a wrestling context, like say at a... At a rock club, if you wore something like that mask fiend shirt, it would fit in, mostly, somewhat, maybe. I don't know. Chris is giving me weird looks. So I don't know what he's what he's telling me. No,
1: no, I'm nodding along. Um, I mean, because okay. like the first thing I, I'm immediately thinking of is I would never let this guy go because if the other company picks him up and gets the licensing rights to his merchandise and he gets to make cool, not WWE logoed merchandise, that stuff's going to sell like hotcakes. Like you're just giving away a real cash cow, whether or not you the listener have a real urgent need to see another Bray Wyatt match. People love the merch. And I think in the right storyline, like if he came back with Malachi black, or if he was in a feud with Darby Allen and sting, I mean like any number of different things in that AEW universe, those t-shirts are going to sell.
2: It might have been the ledger that it did him in. I'm going to recklessly speculate a little. I'm going. Yes, I might. I might get in a little bit of trouble here, Chris. I think Vince McMahon lost faith in Bray Wyatt when he took the mental health break after the death of his friend. <laughs> I'm trying to remember his real name because I keep Brody Lee. It. Brody Lee. Yes, I think. I think the mental health break look Vince is a guy that doesn't like softness. He's not a guy that's that's into that thing for his manly men and his manly I was going to say Luke Harper. That's what I was meaning to say. But yeah, I think I think that partially may it could be a Nick Khan budget decision, don't get me wrong. It could be it could be the other thing. I'm just going to recklessly speculate that a guy that moves that much merchandise you're not looking at the ledger necessarily you're you're not looking at man how much is this costing us if he's bringing in that much in merch and i I, you know it's it would be like cutting one of the new day that isn't xavier woods let's put it that way (laughs) Uh, i actually think cutting xavier woods would be a mistake i do too but but it's more of a shock if it's Big E or kofi that's what i meant um in, in terms of what they bring to the table
1: i okay it's, so i have an alternate theory um okay. but i i let me hit you with it i think that vince tried out the fiend stuff with alexa bliss and oh, it's yes. and it's scratching some sort of itch for him in a way yes. that the bray wyatt stuff never did and he was like well, damn it. Why don't we just give the whole thing to her? Like we don't need Bray Wyatt. And I bet you, here's the other thing though. Um Alexa in this fiend iterations actually moving a decent amount of merchandise. I, I I I that is my suspicion, but that's also backed up a little bit from my firsthand experience of just seeing people at Raw. The the little girls are buying the Lily and uh, Alexa Bliss merchandise. They do like Alexa.
2: Yeah, no. That, that is a great, great theory as well. And I'll tell you something, if the yes chant had ported over to Alberto Del Rio or big show, Daniel Bryan would have been gone from the company a long time ago, probably. So that's also there for the reckless speculation for more reckless speculation, where does he end up or where would you like him to end up? AEW sure. It's a possibility. I would like him to rebrand himself completely. I would love for him, maybe Rowan, maybe even Braun Strowman, just become a Haas stable that goes from territory to territory, maybe ending up in all Japan and kicking a little ass there and being kind of a little hardcore Stan Hansen types. I'd love that. I'd love them to appear in like they they do six months of ring in ring of honor. They do six months in the NWA and then they appear in AEW as a faction after having already made the rounds, maybe even six months in impact too, you know, just build who they are now as a kind of a crew and just have them be your new Abdullah the butcher, you know, mercenary type stable. They're brought in by a manager to take out somebody type of thing. We don't need to keep them long. We have enough. We're going to have enough free agents now where we can cycle people in and out and everybody's going to get paid. So I, I, I'm i digging that. I, <laughs> I just, I, it, it's weird because I'm very nervous because I don't know how much outside of WWE system knowledge Bray has. He's the son of Mike Rotundo. Put it this way, kids. Mike Rotunda being in the WWE saved him because he was a charisma vacuum. He is always a great wrestler. Varsity Club Mike Rotunda was great. Every other Mike Rotunda was boring as hell. If you ever watched him try and do promos, if you watch him do babyface promos in 1981 or even after the Varsity Club, he is dull as dirt. And I. Ju- There's something about veterans and when you're in that WWE system for so long that you think that that is because you've watched it work for so long. You don't know any other way. And my fear is, look, Cody hasn't quite gotten out of the WWE style yet. He's close. He's done some things outside of the box, but he's implemented the WWE style into that. My fear is Bray doesn't expand his horizons now and it's kind of set in them that's my fear
1: so what i i guess i want to see bray in aew just because i want to continue to watch look if aew is going to try to take the kill shot at wwe i want him to go all in on it uh and i think bray Wyatt could actually be an interesting piece of that puzzle if you're if i was going to have him in aew off the top of my head I would have him come in as the guy who wants to take over the Dark Order. It okay. kind of starts serving as a bit of a character wedge between the Dark Order and Adam Page. And the story essentially is that the Dark Order as a group has actually moved on from Mr. Brody Lee. That, like, going to Bray Wyatt and succumbing to Bray Wyatt and kind of go, would be going back for them, all as people. that They have this friend, Adam. And that there's got to be tension that Adam Page has to kind of come and save the day or whatever. Um, but, like, that would sort of be my story there
2: making the dark order dark again.
1: Yes, yeah, he's trying to make him dark yeah, make him dark again, but but I okay. I would have it not take in this case.
2: I you know what? I'm I'm fine with that. That that that's a perfectly logical story. I'm interested. Seems like a seems kind of like a cool dude, seems like a creative guy, so I'm rooting for him. And also, I root for him because of that crappy husky Harris stuff that he had to go through at first where it's like they give him a fat gimmick right off the bat. And so that makes me angry as hell and they were doing fat jokes throughout the Bray Wyatt thing. Dude got in shape under that sweater. If you if you look, I mean he is built now. So I'm I'm looking forward to that uh other releases from WWE. Rick Flair now on the market, friend of Tony Khan. Do we want him in AEW? I don't because I think Ric Flair, number one, we've never had a reason to miss him because he's been on TV ever since he quote-unquote retired. He's doing a flat-out caricature of himself. I know he needs the money. I I, I get that, but it's sad watching those Car Shield commercials with 70-something Ric Flair in the robes he wore 30 years ago as opposed to being a dignified representative of the professional wrestling business. That's the flair I want. And if I can't get that, if I'm just going to get the wooing jackass, God love you, Ric Flair. I love you. Don't get me wrong when I'm saying that. I don't necessarily want him to manage Andrade because I think he'll overshadow him. I think it'll be kind of like what happened with Jake Roberts those first few weeks with Lance Archer, where Jake thought it was him trying to get over and somebody basically had to pull him aside and go, look, you ain't the star of this act. You're in the background here. I don't see that happening with anybody associated with Ric Flair. And that's a problem.
1: I just don't see any utility to Ric Flair for any company outside of, we're doing a big show. We're going to have Ric Flair out here for a belt presentation angle.
0: Uh, if AEW
1: wanted to do uh assemble the Horseman moment on AEW television, that might have some utility, right? And kill
2: Sting and kill Sting. Oh, that, that would actually to have to kill that would, would be
1: very funny. Is they all invite Sting and St- and then they jump and one. Lap. It's an old man jumping of Sting. Yeah, yeah. Like that would actually. Or or Tully at least jokes about jumping Sting and like like proposes it, but there's like I'm sore, I can't do this, I'm too old. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like uh, but no, um, I I outside of those things, I don't have any use for him in an angle. It's hard watching him now. I, I mean, you brought you call him a caricature, and it's it, that's a good way of putting it. He is basically trying to give you member berries about like the woos and remember that one, you know remember that one time and, and if you're f- really familiar with Ric Flair and like all the allness of Ric Flair and all that like because he was cool sometimes he was crazy and unhinged sometimes like, like there was this giant emotional dynamic range with Flair and like it's all gone and I, the other thing that's so important with Flair on the on especially for an advanced age Flair would be the promos and he used to have a clear, confident, um, lucid voice, and he has a sloshy voice now. Yes, it's not yes. it's hard to listen to, and more importantly, it doesn't carry weight. It doesn't have gravitas to it. Um, so like I just I don't I I feel bad for Flair. I think it's on some level, very endearing that he still wants to do other things. And that's like why he, you know, actually originally he said he wanted to do other things. And then we found out he got released. Um, I, but I just, I don't see a a place for him um, at this point, uh, other than taking care of himself.
2: The one place I could see him possibly helping, but it'd have to be a very special way that he was brought in and booked would be the NWA and trying to bring some eyeballs back to that federation because looks like the NWA is going to be out there because AEW is now trying to be the boat that raises all ships, considering we're going to have Camille and Layla Hirsch for the NWA women's title, which was built on TV on Wednesday. You know, we had, the I'll tell you tag what t- titles um, they, def-
1: they've not given a lot of like mic time to Camille. Um, I think a lot of people who aren't familiar with her, are going to be really pleasantly surprised with how good of a wrestler she is. Uh, is she She's actually... Uh, you, what, you're not, not into Camille? Oh,
2: no, 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 no. I, I'm into Camille, but when she came out on TV, <laughs> if any scout from WWE was watching that and showed her to Vince, Vince was like, who do I have to fire to get the money to throw at Camille? Oh yeah. No,
1: no. That like that, that this is, and what's going to be funny. I'm sure there's a story where Camille has been pitched to Vince any number of times and he just never got it. And yeah, no, when I saw her get into the ring, I was just like, dude, guys, like this is like, I mean, yeah, she, she's, uh, she's so money. Um,
2: get her and- into AEW and you know now we got somebody to counteract Jade Cargill who is floundering with with mark sterling unfortunately but yeah but no
1: the visual of her and layla hirsch is it, i mean it's just it's wonderful i i, I actually yes. hope i hope that this match goes to a non-finish and that this ends up blossoming into a longer term feud i think it's really wise for aew to be talking with nwa because they do need to with with the expanded AEW roster, I think part of a way of kind of keeping people doing stuff is going to be doing a little bit of lending and a little bit of sharing with Impact and with NWA.
2: And New Japan because Shinsuke Nakamura... Or not Shinsuke Nakamura. It's, what are you doing, dummy? Shinsuke uh, Nakamura! Hiroshi Tanah- <laughs> no, Hiroshi Tanahashi was on TV last week. And, you know, we ha- we've had Yuji Nagata come over. It's obvious that uh, Mox wants to face somebody. So, yeah, I mean... It looks like AEW is going to kind of be the central place, but they're going to also help any federation that wants to work with them. So I'm kind of cool with all this.
1: And so so talk- deploying oh, Flair ahead. to NWA, to your point, I think would be really, really clever. Um, because while I don't think Flair necessarily helps draw eyeballs to AEW, I think Ric Flair is good for thirty to 50,000 additional eyeballs onto NWA, which in their world, ratings-wise, is a lot.
2: Like, if he could do a match, which he can't, but 15 years ago, I'd be all over an Aldous Ric Flair trying to bring back prestige to the belt thing. But that's uh, not
1: uh, And actually, there's a lot of fun with Austin Idol and Ric Flair yelling at each other as old men. Like, I, you know, there, there, there's a little bit of, like, intrigue for that for me.
2: Well, guess what's interesting in the world of professional wrestling? Contracts are almost done for a lot of guys in the WWE who AEW might want. Example, as reported by Wrestling Inc, our friend Raj over there and confirmed by Sean Rossap, Adam Cole's contract has been up, but he offered to extend it through SummerSlam, but he has not signed a long-term deal after that. He might be on the market. Also, Pete Dunne's contract, it was revealed today is coming up very very soon. Curiouser and curiouser, Chris.
1: So, both of these guys, I think, obviously, the conversation's always like, what will they do in the AEW universe? Because, like, you know, you go, where else will that, like, which promotion will they go to? As we just ended this last conversation NWA, Impact, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, it's all just this omnibus thing. It's who they get a contract with, but will they be on your AEW television? seems to me to be very likely. And if you're Adam Cole and you've been watching this carry and cross thing and you are still having any doubts in your head, surely the carry and cross stuff is clarifying.
2: I forgot a part of this story. It was re- revealed by Fightful today, he has been offered main roster money, but as part of that deal, he will be the headliner on Peacock's 205 Live. <laughs> <laughs> to help build that brand oh hell get no. the hell out of
1: there adam cole go run well, run cole is, bro cole is, i captioned 205 live you gotta go you, you you know i i know more about that show than any other human being in the country like you gotta run adam you gotta go Oh
2: yeah cole's boys with the bucks pete dunn has wrestled pwg with the bucks i think I, you know i just think anybody who's been in that circle I think they're not going to say no to after Tommy End is now coming in. Tommy End appeared at PWG this past Sunday. And, And I'll go one step further.
1: The match with Cody and Tommy End, I'll just call him Tommy End for this purposes, served, okay, it worked several different audiences. One, it worked the AEW audience, the actual live audience, and it worked the television audience. It made a new star for the AEW universe. But beyond that, and almost more importantly than that, it served as a giant billboard of come to aew we won't screw up your debut um like you you, you saw what they did to Alistair Black on the main roster look what we did with Malachi Black on our main roster and if you're Adam Cole clarifying moment uh, you know I, I mean you don't even when you're watching Malachi Black you don't even have to think about Carrion cross. To basically be able to mentally juxtapose Carrying Cross and Alistair Black or Malachi Black, I mean, I I just don't know why Dunn or Cole would stay. They've done everything they possibly could in NXT. Being on 205 Live stinks. And on the main roster, we see the Toilet Bowl sort of swirling booking patterns that were on here. Like, you know, they're never going to be featured. Go and ask Rick O'Shea if you're not sure about that.
2: (laughs) AEW News, Ruby Soho, the former Ruby Riot, rumored to have signed with AEW and possibly debuting at All Out as the wild card in the women's battle Royal, that's going to start. I think that's a pretty good place for her and she can spread out from there. Our favorite knuckleheads, Chris 2.0, the former ever rise rules showing up on good old dynamite this week, doing their thing, being the knuckleheads that they are cutting knucklehead promos on, on social media, (laughs) i absolutely adored this match uh the the the, the six man uh, on the thing and uh the kid with them name the oh
1: daniel man. garcia no daniel I, garcia I yeah yeah no great. no great like, yeah no i uh, yeah he he's great. Got it.
2: i enjoyed the little dumb moment with sting and <laughs> her rise i thought just for darby to come out and kill a fool you need these knuckleheads and wrestling. And I love these guys. Are gonna, that
1: these guys are going to thrive in AEW. The, they, yes, they are a perfect... to
2: stay. What if they're allowed to stay. If they're allowed to stay, if they get signed, it looks like people like them. They're going to be on next week as well. Backing up Daniel Garcia. Uh, If they're allowed to sign, I think they thrive on a dark or dark elevation where they're not on the main show every week, but they can cut promos and do whatever they're going to do and build. No, no,
1: absolutely. Um, Being on the second tier show would be perfect for them because on a second tier show, they can be in the middle of the card. I think that'll give them a real chance to connect with the audience. They'll have a really strong niche fan base. Uh, you know, like yeah, no, I, I, I think no, The they're, they're, they're gonna if they can stay, I think they will thrive. I, they're just endlessly entertaining. Like they, they know mm-hmm. how to, they know how to work, and they seem really energized to be there. Like they seem really, oh, really stoked.
2: The shouting at Eddie Kingston. I mean, just being loud and obnoxious is enough to get love from that crowd. I think I. Oh, I am so proud of them. I love them to death. I do. I I, I just want them to make millions because they've been around for so long. And it's obvious from from talking to uh, like Gran Akuma and a couple other guys on Twitter that these guys have been around forever and have been just looking for a chance. And now they're going to get it, I think. I think they're going to finally be able to blossom a little bit, even if it's under the radar. They, they don't have to be main eventers, but just be able to make some money and see a lot, have a lot of people see them do their thing. I am. Oh, I
1: mean, think about that. this, like them doing the bits with dark order, right? Like, like these guys, these guys interacting with the dark order guys is going to be funny as hell.
2: Yes. Yeah. I'm here for that. The rampage broadcast team was announced, uh, for the Friday night show. Uh, it, it's the scene from naked gun. With, like, the 12 broadcasters in there, but four broadcasters, possibly Excalibur moving away from Dynamite, which I think is a bad move. But, yes, Excalibur, Mark Henry, Taz, and I hate that guy, Chris Jericho. In all his Chris Jericho-ness. Uh Any thoughts on this Rampage broadcast team, Chris?
1: Oh my God. Can we, can we try again? Like, like can, it, it, is, can this be like poker where I am allowed to keep one card and put three back into the pile and then draw out again? Uh, or and maybe only draw a couple cards back and just take my chances and hope I get like three of a kind. Uh, no, like this is not a commentary booth I'm excited about. Jericho at best will be a non-entity like, like that there'll be so many different people in the booth talking that Jericho won't get a word in edgewise at worst, he's going to be obnoxious and him and Taz aren't going to shut up or they're going to get sidetracked and start laughing about this or that. Um, I, I have real concerns that the action's not going to get called. Um, I have real concerns that the story is not going to get told. I know Excalibur is going to be doing his studied best on this, but you know, He really just needs to be bolstered by Taz, who is, on his own, an absolutely fine second man. He is Mm -hmm. actually very, very good. Uh, He only gets in trouble when there is a third person in the booth and they get a little laughy. Um, But outside of that, Taz is good at staying heel He's good at knowing how to call action from a heel perspective. He knows how to add a little bit of grappling and submission style gravitas to the calls and the play by play. And, like, you know, at the Excalibur calling the high flying stuff, Taz can call the ground stuff. And, it, it, like, that would be just fine. But you don't need Jericho. Who's the other person? Mark Henry. Mark he- Why do you need Mark Henry?
2: I don't know. <laughs> uh because eventually he's going to get one last run i think I just i i he's on he's on serious on that show busted open he's okay i just it it takes what a certain amount of what would be like his act- role it, would he be like a it, heel comment? yeah you know It yeah it takes a certain amount of acting to be a commentator and i just i don't know we'll see i mean paul white surprised me so maybe no Mark but like Henry to your Walter.
1: point like the, like a commentary team is sort of like an improv troupe in a way yes it, it, it's an improv troupe with sort of like designated roles in a way like because the, the dial you have bullet points in like here we go, go.
2: let's put excalibur and 2.0 on commentary for no show. i'm for, i'm for real <laughs> like
1: I, I i actually almost said that when you first brought this up like could we just do excalibur and 2.0 um or yes. like you know yeah, no, like, cause I would, uh, that would actually be better to me. It's like those two guys just sort of like chiming in as the heels and like, yeah, like they, they're may occasionally have a match or whatever, but like, you know, like that's their job is that they, they work. And, and yeah, as, as the they're the would... best,
2: they're the best improv tag team I've ever seen in terms of, in terms of working with each other on, on promo. So yeah. uh, Okay. So we got, uh, we got the week that was plus one. Let's circle back to the one story that's kind of made the news a little bit and then just go on a kind of a lazy river of stuff that happened this week and close it out. Cause we've spent a lot of time on the news already. Uh, so Nick Gage brings out a pizza cutter during his match with Chris Jericho last Wednesday. As we go to picture and picture. What should be be the primary ad that's going to run at that time? Uh, Yes, you guessed it. Domino's Pizza. And then this third-tier quote-unquote news site leaks a story about asking for Domino's for a response. And to me, this screams WWE looking to plant a story to try and get them or WWE fans trying to leak it to get a story and i'm here to tell you if it was the fan base that did it or wwe that did it hypocrisy knows no bounds because on smackdown that friday the company that 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 courts snickers and progressive insurance are doing missionary sex jokes on on the air and and you know physician heal thyself if you're pushing this family friendly crap
1: Well, beyond that, Jeff, I I mean, a wise man once said, complaining is in conversation.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. If they're not competition, then why are you bitching about them? How about that? How about that, kids? Yeah. Do your thing. Okay. People who are competition to you, if you're confident in yourself and you're confident in your product, or whatever the the hell you want. You don't care what the other guy is doing. You're just out there being excellent. The wolf does not have any opinion on the on the on the emotions of the sheep. Okay? That's I botched that cliche, but I don't care. I'm going with it. I've it, 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 read this and it's like it was some weird like front row media type thing that I had never heard of trying to push this story and I'm going, I mean, this is brad shepherd territory to me this is just some dude who wants to make a name for himself pushing a story but it was obvious somebody was trying to plant it somewhere because it was pitched to different people apparently so it just screams dirty pool from the wwe which has done this type of thing before but there were no Domino's ads this week it was all little caesars you know I, let's put it this way i mean when when the when the nexus angle happened and Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, whatever you want to call him, was caught choking Justin Roberts on camera with a tie. People went to Snickers and said, "How do you support this kind of stuff?" And Snickers threatened to drop them for a while. And that's why Daniel Bryan was released for a while after the after the, after that first Nexus breakdown. They've also complained to Snickers about the May Young classic type thing or what was it? it was originally called something else that there was a women's tournament or a women's battle Royal. Oh, it was named after Mula, And they, and they went after, her because of her dealings with quote unquote prostitution and things. They went after her to the sponsors. If it's you guys doing it, mind your own business. If it's the company's doing it. Be better. That's my opinion. Sticking to it. Chris. Yeah.
1: Um, My my thought on this is I think it ends up if if it is in fact that they've lost the sponsor this serves as a bit of a learning moment for AEW who uh, is flying high right now but could without being careful do something that undermines all their future success or like undermine you know you can shoot yourself in the foot and a blood spot when especially like this sort of match was a very sort of extreme choice in a climate where people are still going to live events in masks um there there's a certain safety angle thing that i think aew does need to be mindful of for the performers and also the people attending these live events um because while i don't think it's necessarily the highest of high likelihoods um they're still going to be running these live events and there is always the potential that one of these large assemblages of people serves as a super spreader event. And AEW needs to make sure that if that does happen, they are able to point at X, Y, Z, A1, A2, A3 of all of these different safety measures that they took kind of in anticipation of that. Rather than look like they were maybe being reckless and flat footed at a time. You don't want to get the vibe that people shop? get. What?
2: <laughs> like a slappy shop? Type of thing. Uh, yeah. Like a, a
1: sloppy shop. I mean, or even <laughs> like, um, I mean, you started to see the way people are processing Lollapalooza now, right? Like the way Lollapalooza. Yeah. And, and you don't, I mean, you might have an event that feels good at the time. And then three or four weeks later kind of has like a less good vibe about it. Um, and AEW does need to be mindful of those sorts of things. And you know, another thing is that as they are becoming a higher profile product, um, and getting into a million plus people, um, The question needs to be asked, do they need to keep doing the blood and gutsy sort of matches? Um, And is the blood and gutsy sort of matches worth the squeeze here? Um, You know, I I think that saving those for the pay-per-views And that sort of thing makes a lot more sense than running those on live TV where you're trying to do advertisers. On the pay-per-views, you don't have to worry about Domino's. On the pay-per-views, if you do the pizza cutter spot, it's not going to be juxtaposed against the Domino's ad because there's no Domino's ad to juxtapose it against. So, hopefully because i actually i want aew to overtake wwe at this point i I, bipartisan cards are just squarely on the table i'm i'm
2: I'm gonna tell you something too Uh, and i posted this this week it's like uh man aew can't sign anybody and my reaction was sign everybody flood the thing and put this other company out of business i i am also i look but mine also goes back to hey they killed nwa and wcw twice for me, so I, I have no problem with with that. Look, I love my friends who work there. Don't get me wrong, but I I, I kind of want to see WWE suffer a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. My partisan cards are on the table too.
1: Yeah, no, and I feel like I've, I've been trying. I've been analyzing this war objectively the whole way down. And I mean, I'm I've never been saying. Yeah, I'm I've never been one to say that I think someone or like in a, like an election or whatever, I, that someone's going to win. When it like there's just enough of a distance where it's not happening. Like AEW is within punching distance at 1.1 million, sustaining this for the better part of a month now and popping that number with some reliability. This is a and with with more cards in their deck, more cards yet to be played, more people potentially coming in. Um, dude, this company is in position to really keep building momentum. And the real question for WWE is like, who are you getting? You know, like who is WWE's big outside grab at this point? The are you? What, there's not like the wrestler tree that you just shake and out comes like the next big wrestler. You've got who you've got. You're you're either reheating Drew McIntyre for a third or fourth time here, or you know,
2: it's Brock. The answer is Brock. It's always gonna be Brock. Yeah, and and, Bra-
1: and they're gonna discover that Brock's not gonna do it this time around.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. So for the weekly television, just. A little bit of hitting around the uh, bases. Boy, both AEW and WWE really wanted to get into that Simone Biles business about mental health and using that for heat. Chris, the floor is yours. Well, you know,
1: okay, so the the Simone Biles thing uh, on the WWE side bolsters strongly your theory about Bray Wyatt because if you're greenlighting this promo for Charlotte about simone biles it tells you the general corporate environment about not feeling so good about things uh as though it's it's just merely that when it comes to simone biles um uh it was bad but then you know what we get to with max caster and the promo on dark i mean it it was what the promo on dark, uh, this is actually, you know, kind of buttresses or segues very nicely off from my last point about how hopefully the Nick Gage and the pizza cutter moment is a slap across the face that you could screw this up in a big way in a heartbeat. Um, This promo on dark with Mas- Max Caster, not just the Simone Biles thing, Um, but uh, who's the other person he's been going after uh, in the promos uh, from the oh, Jul- Jul-
2: Julia Club? Oh, Julia Hart.
1: Yeah Julia Hart I I mean there are any number of problematic lines in this and this is a pre-taped show so um I remember how the wrestling community was processing the Jim Cornette commentary moment on NWA television months ago. And I want you to remember those emotions and recalibrate how you now feel about the AEW thing. And this should serve as another treatment of five across the eyes of Tony Khan, who seems to be processing it with some degree of seriousness here, that if you have something like this and you wanna be the top show and television buddy, and you run a problematic Simone Biles program or promo, you could get the media treatment on this. I don't know if you've watched cable news these days, but they don't necessarily always put things into the best context or fully tell the whole story on stuff. They focus in on one little cliplet, and they beat it into the ground. And if they grabbed onto this Max Caster thing and gave it the August we're bored and there's not a lot to talk about in the news right now, what is going on with problematic wrestling treatment for two and a half weeks? It could do a number on the booming numbers for AEW so this should be yet another five across the eyes thing I've liked Max Caster uh in the past um I think that he's got talent I think he is good on the microphone um I I even think these slightly edgy promos have a place but someone needs to be checking these and clearly he can't be left to his own devices
2: I'm gonna I don't know like boomer Jeff knows about cheap heat and he just kind of, I get that people are mad and things like that. And I, I kind of agree with them for me. I, I want to bring this to you, Chris, cause this is something I've been trying to think about because with this and even with like the Mrs. Cheap hometown sports team type of heat types of thing. I, I don't, I, I think wrestlers, need to get back to healing on the performer they are in a feud with versus trying to get the crowd to heal on them necessarily and i i don't i think that's become a bit of a lost art i think it's now because we're in these arenas with full houses it's like well i'm going to make all these people hate me for saying something that offends them as opposed to hating me for saying something bad about this opponent that I'm in a feud with right now in my promos.
1: No, um, I actually I like this point, and I, I kind of build off of it. I mean, I think if you want to critique Caster's rap promos, part of the issue, especially as of late. Is He landed a few good topical jokes, whether they were about Andrew Cuomo or Rudy Giuliani um, or whatever the news of the day was, and he started going, oh, that's where the money is. I need to come up with more of these little topical Dennis Miller style zingers and seed those into my raps on the way down to the ring. When really what needs to be happening more with the raps on the way down to the ring is Caster needs to be telling a story of some sort. There needs to be a, a story that binds what is happening in the match, what his motivation is going into this match, why he is here. It's it's an opportunity for him to insert additional beats of dialogue um, that are at a premium on a wrestling show. So while the topical lines, maybe having one of them per promo is good to pop the audience or be an attention grabber at the beginning of it, after you get it as an attention grabber, it needs to re- that should be like the second stanza or whatever, it needs to refocus in as to what Max is doing in the ring and who he's going up against tonight. Um so that's the other problem. I mean like we- you could go through this entire promo, and it's like line after line of problematic material, and none of these lines that are problematic really do a whole lot to advance the actual story that is going on leading into the match
2: either. My one other note from the main roster this week, Nikki A.S.H. This is terrible. This is, she's being made to look foolish. She's getting banana peel wins. She's a superhero who's hitting people with a chair. <laughs> They're taking this title off of her at SummerSlam, I think. Or she's getting a banana peel finish and she's going to lose to Alexa. I, I I don't, it's one of those two. I mean, <laughs> Are we gonna yank the title from her at SummerSlam and give it to Rhea or Charlotte, and she takes the fall, or are we gonna have her lose to Alexa? But overall, this superhero thing—she's she's almost a superhero, but she's not almost superpowered. You know, she's getting killed every week, and you're just like, "Well, this is okay, how you but build having superpowers
1: is binary, Jeff. I'm sorry if you're almost a superhero—that means you have none powers. It, it's it, you have to be a superhero." to have superpowers. So, she's very close to that. And maybe at SummerSlam, she actually switches to Nikki SH and like kills Rhea and Charlotte with her brain lasers.
2: <laughs> I was not ready for that. That's not fair. Thank God I wasn't drinking. I'm here for Brain Lasers and wrestling. It's pure that would be pure WWE. I mean, that that would just be I mean, after all the well, No, and stuff. that'd be
1: perfect for the match with Alexa. So, Alexa's got the doll, but Nikki's using your Brain Lasers at the doll to kill the doll like, man, you know. I mean, this this is WWE stuff. That this this is bre- the wrestling fans love this. Uh, I know this. Uh, so, Nikki ASH to your point. I I mean, it's cheesy I, I think that it maybe has a little bit of connection with, with the younger kids, maybe, in the live audiences. But, like, the adults, basically, across the board, don't like it. And they're not even enjoying it enough to courteously cheer for it, really. Like, they, they you know, they're not going to boo it outright. But when you saw the CM Punk promos flare up, well, it wasn't one of them for Nikki A.S.H. Uh, didn't, didn't they get one of the Punk promos? Or the Punk uh, chance, yes. So I mean and, oh, yeah. that tells that tells you that, that to me is not we want CM Punk. That's we're bored. Um, people are saying CM Punk is we're bored.
2: Yeah, and that's adults. I think kids could get behind this, but nobody wants to root for a superhero who doesn't kick ass. Nobody. Want, I mean, it's look. They will give this four weeks, tops. So we're on week two or three already. So one more week of Nikki Cross, Nikki A.S.H., whatever you want to call her, doing banana peel finishes. She's going to beat Rhea Ripley like this too somehow, I think. But kids eventually want to see progress in our superhero, our almost-a-superhero, and so you have to get rid of the A eventually. I I agree there. I, I just don't know how long they're going to say that. WWE doesn't do progress in their characters. They don't Once you're a character, you are that character and you do not grow necessarily until you become a different character of sorts. So I don't think we're getting the quote unquote hero's journey, for lack of a better term, with Nikki A.S.H. here. I think we're just going to get she's she's you know, she tries hard and she wants to be a good role model for the kids. And that's going to be it. And I mean, the other problem, bananas. too,
1: is the making Rhea Ripley cool again project is happening concurrently with Nikki A.S.H. So mm-hmm. if you are a fan watching this show and you're looking at the women's side of the Raw Ledger, who is a cooler, more relatable baby face? Nikki A.S.H., a grown woman who thinks that she's almost a superhero because she's wearing a butterfly mask. Or Rhea Ripley, who looks like you know she goes to metal shows and might like bands you like, or at least no bands that you like.
2: Yeah, at least be cool in the zeitgeist type of thing, you know. Yeah, I, I want to, I want to just go on and finish. And so NXT, go with the weaker of my two points, and then we're gonna finish strong here, I think, of ranting we are going to rant about this last thing, Chris, you have already given a bit of a teaser for it, but first. So the main event is love her or lose her. Gargano pins Dexter Loomis and screw the stipulation. Love wins out. If any week constitutes. NXT being called the main roster with yellow ropes, this, this was it, and my god, we we don't. Am I? Am
1: I? Just clarify this for me, because you're a little bit better with like the message boards and like that part of it. Is Index actually over with anyone other than Beth friggin' Phoenix?
2: No, no, because it's it's high school romance crap. It's supposed to be funny, but it's not, it doesn't get to a lot of comedy. The best part of the comedy here are Gargano and Candace's reactions to this ridiculousness. We, we, <laughs> we don't get the drama of her being taken away and losing this and actually overcoming to get the story that they should be telling. No screw the step <laughs> it's love now. And this is going to be a different kind of cringy comedy. That's what we're going to get out of. this. Yeah.
1: And, and I mean, but here's the worst part. What would have been so much more fun is Loomis wins the match. And now he's forced to be part of the Gargano family that yes. like Johnny has this forced upon him rather than yes. it, he runs away from the family. Like it, it's the, the money the with these people is all in the yes. interactions. It's not in the wrestling.
2: The comedy is making things more uncomfortable. And so you bring in Loomis, and yes, drama solves problem. Comedy makes problems worse. That's, that's a lesson for all you screenwriters out there who might be out there. Comedy is bringing in Loomis to be the creepy uncle in this family. And depending on whether or not Austin theory has been brought up or not, having him have to interact with him at family dinners and outings and things like that, when he doesn't really like this Dexter Loomis character, that is going to be good comedy. I, I, this was inexplicable to me.
1: This choice. There, this there's choice. any number of different improvisational situations that you can put Johnny, Candace, Austin, Dexter, and Indy in. Those five. And, and result in like very funny scenarios where Loomis is really trying to charm Johnny and it's not working, or like you know like like Loomis is you know really trying to embrace being part of a family, or like or Loomis and the- Indy are having drama this week, and Johnny and mm-hmm. Candace see as an opportunity to try to drive the wedge and it doesn't work, or like or you know.
2: Candace Candace and Johnny have a bit of an issue, so Indy comes and goes. Hey, let me talk to you about my relationship and how that's working out. The visual of the five of them in a car with Johnny sitting bitch in the back seat is what I want really that that this thing is ripe for actual good comedy. And instead, instead we're going to getting the love story, but speaking of bad comedy, Chris, now we get to the main event of bad comedy of outdated tropes of 1984 bad, sex comedies or whatever you want to call it. Zoe Stark and Io Shirai, by the way, only one of two tag teams really remaining in, in NXT for this women's division, because, oh yeah, they broke up Raquel and, (laughs) and her partner. And, you know, we're kind of trying to find out what's going on with, uh, Jesse Kamea and Frankie Monet, nope, off to SmackDown, riding a tank, shooting things into people's groins. That's what Nox oh, is yeah, that's true. Like.
1: But like Kamea and Monet, I guess, are a team now.
2: Maybe. Perhaps. Don't know. Seems like they might be on a verge of a split because of Robert Stone. Who knows? But <laughs> American who doesn't understand sushi restaurants. I've never been to a sushi restaurant because I don't like sushi. I get the premise but the bad, jingoistic humor in this entire sketch, the, look, the punchline of I'm from Kansas, kind of cute, but the sketch in all, I, why are we not past the bickering tag partners after they've won the tag titles? That's my, That's part of it all this sketch needed was mickey rooney from breakfast at tiffany's doing a bad stereotypical asian person of some kind you know this thing this thing was a relic of a relic of a relic in terms of comedy in terms of just bad racial humor which you know it doesn't offend me as much as other people don't get me wrong but it it was it was a lame way out of it. They, they they could have done something with this. There are clever premises within this premise one could do if you just sat down and brainstormed it a bit. But it makes Zoe Stark look stupid too, which is which is the real crime of this sketch.
1: Yeah. So first and foremost, I I will start here because I think it really does matter and colors everything else this skits biggest crime of which it's guilty of like death penalty convicted at The Hague war tribunal stuff uh, it's it's terribly unfunny For like from yes. beginning to beginning to end it is it is criminally unfunny the the nothing lands no one is good at delivering their jokes the lines aren't that good, but they're not delivered well either. Um, it mm-hmm. is not a funny joke. It trades... Uh, Jeff has gone at length about the ancient premises that it's sort of like working on. <laughs> um, I want to I wanna ruminate on that a little bit further, though, because I think that those... Uh, ancient premises that it's living in actually undermine Zoe Stark here in a substantial way. In that Zoe yes. Stark is trying to be a good friend to Io Shirai, right? I want to get to know you better. I'm really committed to this project. Let's go out and get Japanese food. Um, you pick the restaurant, EO picks the restaurant or whatever, but Zoe Stark, who apparently has never had Japanese food before, doesn't bother to study Japanese food on any level prior to going to the Japanese food restaurant. So how committed to the project? earnestly are you of connecting with Io Shirai as a person or are you just doing it because it's your job because you're tag team champions now um, it which is deeply undermining that's obviously not the intention but like Zoe's reactions and like all the like laugh lines for Zoe were all like I've never even heard of Japan sort of things um, which is <laughs> asinine for like a wrestler to be saying on some level but like she likes looking at these two sticks like what do I do these
2: because you can't have that at a chinese restaurant in any way and so obviously she's never been to any kind of chinese restaurant i just i just went the line i was look i was in a basement until i was 23 i didn't even know there was a japan until i got either that or the uh, my mother homeschooled
1: (laughs) me and she was very bad
2: at it or or do you remember the the it was a terrible sketch on Saturday Night Live when Farley was still on, but he was on the Japanese game show. And all he kept yelling was, I'm not Japanese. I don't understand any of this. That would have been funnier, even ripping that off than this. Zoe Stark is trying to be nice and trying to make EO comfortable. EO is being just a total bitch to this woman. And, you know, it's almost
1: or or another way of reading this, though, Jeff, is she's actually reading the situation right. in that, like, this is a classic Gaijin white. Yeah. White person trying to be cool, but hasn't actually like done any of the real homework. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to go to the Japanese restaurant with the Japanese person, like look at like what a menu is before you go there. You know what I mean? So that you don't look like an absolute total ass. Like, if, you, if you're if you really worried about the chopsticks thing, work on your chopsticks technique at home before you go out. But, like, if this overture of friendship is really a serious thing, I don't know. Like, EO's standoffishness to me actually read as appropriate, but it shouldn't have. So on that okay, point, here, I'm here, with you.
2: Here's how you resolve this, in, in a way. Next week, EO offers to take Zoe to an American restaurant – but EO gets dressed up in the worst cowboy getup ever. <laughs> and they go to a steakhouse or something. And she's just doing the worst Texas accent. <laughs> this is what you Americans do, right?
1: She tries to get the porterhouse with chopsticks next week. In yes. The-
2: <laughs> yes. Yes. Or, I will eat the 85 pound steak because that's what we do in America.
1: The only way to work this out at this point is to just bend this to both of them are idiots when it comes to food. That they're both yes. actually equally as stupid when it comes to, like, food items.
2: I don't know. Even the interaction between EO and and the waitress, I was just like, okay, these are stiff. I didn't like the, the whole, oh, we're
1: all best. You know, like, I actually thought the whole language, it was either EO being a jerk and using this person as a prop, or... Yeah. I don't think that's how it was being written. It was just being done as like, well, of course, two Japanese speakers will immediately have a super close bond because they both speak Japanese.
2: You think we're friends because we can speak the other language? What's your problem, Zoe Stark? You know, you could turn that on them and just, you know, you'd really... I don't know. You, you, you got to make things worse, but this was not making things worse for comedy's sake because nobody wants to see Zoe Stark have issues with Io Shirai. They are tag team champions and they are both baby faces. And she is probably your hottest woman in your division in terms of wins, losses, and momentum. Why the hell would you make want to make her look stupid? So we that's another part of comedy is we want to see the people get their come up. And so this is punching down in a lot of ways. Zoe Stark is not high society. She doesn't have some air of foo ness in her. If you just... If you made it good-natured misunderstanding, it'd be a lot more funny and charming, and we'd like the team. But this is just mean-spiritedness. They're not
1: bonding. And and, and I mean, like, I get the whole thing of, like, it's tough for them to bond. But, like, here's another way of handling the waitress, right? Like, so Eo and the waitress have an exchange in Japanese. It seems like they're friendly. Afterwards, Zoe goes, oh, are you guys friends? And EO goes, No, she's actually kind of annoying. Like, 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 like that. Like, essentially, EO reveals that, like, she had a rather unpleasant EO's, interaction. EO's just
2: a jerk. EO's just yeah. a jerk to everybody, kind of thing. But this is the type of thing that ends up being resolved in, oh, it's a bar fight. And the two then respect each other, you know, in the action movie where you have, you know, the, the person who does things by the book being teamed with the, 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 you know, the, the the great soldiers and the prisoners are together in the bar to bond before they go overseas to kill Nazis and stuff. But, oh, there's lumberjacks, locals who don't like them. This is actually the Devil's Brigade, so I'm quoting that. And so they all bond after months of tension of training by beating up these local lumberjacks and stuff. And that's going to happen with EO. The problem is we don't need to see them bond and overcome adversity because, hey, they're already the tag team champions. What, what are we doing here, guys? This is just, this is cutting them off at the knees as champions, in my opinion, too, which is a even bigger crime.
1: Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that. Um, I, I I really, if anything, they really need to be past this part of it, and, like, they should be bonding over, at minimum, they should have a bond over wrestling, and where we, we should always start at, Bond over wrestling. Zoe tries to expand this bond into friendship and other things. And if it doesn't work, they at least can retreat back to, they've got this wrestling bond that ties yeah, them they're together. Profe-
2: they're professionally courteous to one another They They don't have to be best buddies. They don't have to hang out. They don't have, to, I mean, you can counteract them with Casey and, and Lacey or whatever her name is. Now I always forget it. You know that, but you know, the, 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 the munchkin land, Tag team that's never gonna win the titles in NXT, you know who are who always seem who are always hugging and oh we're so supportive. So it's <laughs> just those two. And we finish go, each other's sentences. Like this. Sentences. Yeah, you just just you and, and Zoe and goes. You two are both gross. And <laughs> you so much, but yeah, it's gonna do it for us. We've ranted enough. You can follow me at Crap Game Thirteen. You can follow Chris at DWATG. If you just want to follow the show. It is at Shake Them Ropes, all one word. We are part of the voices of, wrest- voices of wrestling network. You can watch us on their YouTube channel. If you want to see our reactions to each other, if you want to see Chris's cats try and cook each other on his stove during the thing, Chris also has a Patreon where he does political commentary called "Don't Worry About the Government." He is going to qu- he is going to plug it for you at this time.
1: Yeah, don't worry about the government. You can find it on Don't don'tworry.tv at patreon.com slash DWATG to watch it. Uh, you know, we mentioned earlier in the show uh, the unfortunate split screen involving Domino's Pizza and AEW, but there was another equally unfortunate split screen this week tied into the news uh, where Andrew Cuomo is on one screen and on the other screen is a Google ad that says trying to find a new career uh yeah, pitching him so that, that was a good little moment we'll be talking about uh governor cuomo's issues along with uh other governor's woes as it was on the next episode of don't worry about the government so uh, go and check that out don't TV. i'm at dwatg if you want to go and follow me on twitter
2: and uh possibly next week a little special audio after the show i will for those because people have asked me these questions i will review the suicide squad movie for all of you